Both of these are tools, and both need to be used correctly to be the most effective. Welcome to the Simply Charlotte Mason podcast. I'm Sonia Schaefer. Today, I want to talk about living books. Now, I can almost hear you moaning, living books again? We talk about them all the time. And that just proves my point. In a Charlotte Mason education, we spend a lot of time talking about living books, what they are, how to spot them, where to find them, which ones we like best, which ones we recommend for which age groups and which grade levels, what ideas are contained in them, and the list could go on and on. We place a lot of emphasis on good living books, and they are a hallmark of a Charlotte Mason home school. But I want you to make sure to understand that living books are not the magic key that will instantly educate your child. Living books are a tool, a great tool, but like all great tools, they must be used correctly to be the most effective and to get the job done right. I've talked with many homeschooling parents who come to me for help, and their children just don't seem to be learning and growing as that parent expected. Now, the parent usually assures me that she's using living books. But when I dig a little deeper and I ask her how she is using those books, that's when a few common mistakes come to light. There's about five that I hear the most often. Usually what happens is that parent is depending on the living book to be a magic key. Somehow, she has this idea that if my child reads living books instead of textbooks, he'll be educated. But such is not the case. Living books must be used correctly to be the most effective. So, the question is, are you using living books effectively? Let's look at those five common mistakes that I hear a lot. And let's use them to evaluate whether you're getting the most effective use out of the living books that you and your children are reading. Here are the mistakes. Think of these as five ways not to use a living book. Mistake number one is handing the book to your child and telling him, go read this. Then you check it off as done. Your child read it at the end. You're missing out on a golden opportunity to observe the learning and growing that should be taking place in your child's mind and heart as he ingests the ideas in that book. And you're missing a chance to teach him good study habits and time management along the way. Now, books for leisure reading in the afternoons? Yes, those you can just hand to your child, let him enjoy it at his own pace. But for living books, those narratives that you're using for school subjects, you need to oversee the process and make sure that they are being read in segmented portions, spread out over time, and coupled with narrations. Breaking your work down into manageable portions and scheduling it out over time, those are important time management skills. And your child needs to grow up seeing those and grow up with those. Gradually, then, that child can take over that responsibility for himself. Then, narrating what he reads, 
restating it in his own words. That's a great study habit that's going to serve him well no matter what he's learning for the rest of his life. So don't throw those practices away. Don't just hand the book to your child with no plan for reading and no accountability in place through narrating. You won't be getting nearly the impact from that book that you could get with scheduled portions spread out over time and required narrations. All right, mistake number two, another way not to use a living book. Binge read or binge listen to a book, just devouring it quickly. This one's hard for many of us. When you're enjoying a book, the temptation is to just keep reading. I've talked to some moms who think that a Charlotte Mason education means find a book that the children enjoy, then curl up on the couch and read it all day long. What they're doing is the equivalent of binge-watching a show online. Back when that show first aired, you had to take it in segments, usually one per week, and then you had to wait until the next one was available. But now that all the episodes, and sometimes multiple seasons of episodes, are available in one place at the same time, it's easy to just keep watching. But you might notice that the longer you watch, the less you pay full attention. Your mind starts to get weary, and you start to miss details. You might be aware of that happening, or you might be completely unaware of it, but it is happening. Spreading the readings out over time does two things that are very important. First, it helps your child pay full attention and catch more details. And second, it teaches him delayed gratification and to practice self-control. Both of those habits are an important part of a successful life. You know, it's just amazing to me. Let's chase a little bunny trail here. It's amazing to me how so many of Charlotte's practices and methods have multiple purposes. They're brilliant for learning the material in the moment. But even more than that, they are preparing the child for success in life. They teach him how to self-educate, and they give him valuable habits that are going to serve him well into adulthood. The more I discover those dual-purpose or multi-purpose methods that are just tucked in there, the more excited I get. All right, let's get back to how not to use a living book. Mistake number three, discuss the book instead of requiring your child to narrate it. Some parents that I talk to say that they discuss the reading or they ask the child's opinion on what he read but they don't require a narration, or sometimes they think that that discussion is narration. There's a big difference between narrating and discussing. Charlotte did both with her students, but the narrating always came first. By asking for a narration first, you are teaching your child to listen well and to make sure that he understands exactly what was said before he offers an opinion on it. Once again, there is a crucial life lesson, as well as a good study habit. Narrating requires full attention, and it gives the child practice in comprehending and restating what was read or said. Now think about that practice. 
That ability to put someone else's ideas into your own words, it's a valuable tool for learning, but it's also an important skill for good daily communication. By narrating, your child is practicing listening to someone else's words, making sure he understands them accurately. So when you read a living book, make sure your child knows what was said and meant by asking him for a narration. After he's demonstrated that he understands what was read and can restate it accurately, then feel free to engage in a discussion that welcomes his opinions. But be cautious of letting him get into a bad habit of giving his opinion without first being required to really listen and understand that other person's words. The more he's allowed to offer opinions without verifying what he has heard and that he has understood it accurately, the more that's going to become an ingrown practice of his life. And that bad habit can destroy relationships and can foster strife. Proverbs 18.13 puts it very succinctly, that communication principle. It says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So, discuss, sure, but do that after your child demonstrates that he has a solid grasp on what was said. And that demonstration happens by restating it in his own words, by narrating. All right, mistake number four, how not to use a living book. Wait until the end and ask for one gigantic narration on the whole book. Many of us grew up giving book reports. Do you remember those? We were required to read a book and then at the end, give a summary and tell what we thought about the book. I hated book reports. I loved to read, but I hated having to condense and evaluate my literary friends in a report. But most of us had to do those for many of our school years, and it's easy for us to fall back into that well-worn groove when we're using living books with our children. We mistakenly think that a narration is like a book report, but a book report is not the same thing as a narration. Waiting until the end of the book and then asking for a summary is not the same as a narration. Requiring the child to narrate each portion of the book as it is read, to put the author's ideas into his own words, that helps him to cement that information in his mind. And he'll get much more out of a book if he cements those ideas a little at a time along the way than if he just touches the main highlights in a summary at the end. Regular, consistent narrations are valuable tools that are going to help your child develop public speaking and writing skills. And there's another one of those multi-purpose methods. Those public speaking and composition skills are going to develop much faster and much better if he has that regular, consistent practice by narrating each portion of the book as it's read. And then, number five, the way not to use a living book, skip pre-reading reviews. 
Often it's this one and the one that I just mentioned, waiting till the end and asking for a giant narration on the whole book. Usually those two mistakes are key culprits if you had a bad exam experience. Sometimes moms will tell me that their exam week was awful. Their children didn't remember a thing from the readings. If that's been your experience, check those two places first. Are you asking for those regular, consistent narrations as you go along throughout the whole term? And are you doing pre-reading reviews? You need both. If you ask for a narration on each reading, but you never review what happened in the previous readings, your child's going to have a hard time following the entire line of the author's thought and the story. So before you start the reading for the day, just do a short pre-reading review. It can be as simple as, Last time we read about Leif Erikson leaving Greenland. What do you remember about that? If your child is reading the book independently, Teach him to do that mental process first before he dives into the next new reading. That pre-reading review doesn't have to be another full-blown narration. Simply recalling where the storyline left off and what happened last time will offer the child a chance to review. We want him to pull up a mental string, as it were, and tie the next bit onto it so that at the end of the term, he will have a complete line of thought with all of the components connected, rather than a lot of little bits floating around in his mind that he's never been expected to remember or to connect. If you're not helping him learn to review and connect all along the way, it's not very fair to expect him to do that at the end of three months of reading. Pre-reading reviews don't take long but they are an important part of the process, and they encourage long-term retention. See, immediate narration, right after you read something, that helps you assess your student's comprehension and short-term memory. Then the next time you're scheduled to read from that book, do that pre-reading review, and that helps you to assess the student's intermediate-term memory. And then the exams at the end of the term, the end of those 12 weeks, those let you assess his long-term memory. Your child is going to have a better grasp of the readings if you use all three. Those pre-reading reviews are important. So let's bring this full circle. And we know that we should not focus on the bad habits that we want to get rid of. We should instead focus on the good habits we want to put in their place. So let's restate the ideas we talked about as what you should do, how to use a living book effectively so that it's a great educational tool. Here's what you should do. Number one, portion it out in small sections spread out over time. Number two, do the pre-reading review before each section is read. Number three, ask for a narration after each section is read. And number four, after the narration, discuss the ideas in that section if you want to. Now, there are lots of other tips and techniques that can help set your child up for success in using living books well. But those four points are foundational. 
You can find those four points and a couple of others discussed fully in the free ebook called Five Steps to Successful Narration. Feel free to grab a copy. I'll leave a link in the show notes to that free ebook. And if you want lots of practical answers to the nitty gritty everyday details, the different situations that you might encounter as your children are reading and narrating, then check out the book Your Questions Answered Narration. I'll leave a link to that book too. The main thing to remember is that living books are not the magic key to educating your child. They're a great tool, but to be most effective, they need to be used correctly. And now you know what not to do with them. Well, and hopefully what to do with them in order to teach your child well. Remember, with these simple practices, you'll be giving your child not only a great grasp of the ideas and the materials in the books, but you will also be helping him to practice solid habits that are going to set him up for success in adult life. I think it's a brilliant combination. If you enjoyed this video, be sure to subscribe. You can subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. We don't want you to miss an episode. You can also subscribe to the audio version of this podcast or read the blog post on our website at simplycharlottemason.com. All of those links will be in the notes along with the links to those books that I mentioned. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time.